morning, Porch Community. It's good to see you. Uh, we're in the sixth week of our series on Balo, and uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there to Romans 12, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about this Balo, this word Balo means to cast. We've been talking about casting the invitation, uh, the invitation of Jesus. You just saw our mission team that we've sent to Central America um, and they're there serving. They built, on the first day, they built a house, which is not like the houses that you and I really live in, but these cinder block houses with tin roofs, but it keeps them safe and warm and dry. And it's, it, they did one, and they were building one uh, today or yesterday, and then today they're doing some traveling around. Um, but wow, they're, they're casting the invitation of Jesus just by their very presence. Um, I, I just love that, and... Loved seeing that. When you send your media pastor on a mission trip, you get um, those kind of videos for your announcement videos, which is always great. Um, so, okay, I'm going to mention something here, talking about casting the invitation to Jesus. Um, last Sunday during the Super Bowl, uh, there was an ad shown for an organization called He Gets Us. And you already heard. Someone was like, woohoo! Let me tell you, some people were not, some people were like, hold on a minute. And I, I mean, like, if you read online or if you heard, like, if you listen to podcasts or different things, it, there was a wide array of responses to this ad. Who saw the ad? Who knows what I'm talking about, right? And you can go online and say, if you are one of the few people that didn't say, you can go online and watch the ad. It was done really well. Um, but it's this organization called He Gets Us, and they started doing this, I think, at the 2022 Super Bowl, if I remember correctly. In the ad, most of y'all saw it, but it's this scenario where uh, people's feet were being washed, um, and, and there was a statement made at the very end, and it said, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. And both of those statements are very true. Jesus did not teach hate, and he did wash feet. Now, it, it was kind of a broad statement when you look at the scriptures, he washed his disciples' feet, but we'll... Yeah, he did wash feet, though, so that's not a false statement. They're both accurate. But wow, that one-minute clip, it really riled some people up. And I'm not talking about non-Christians. Like, some believers had a problem. A lot of people did, a lot of Christians did with this ad. Now, a lot of people had a problem because on the lowest end, it probably cost about $17.5 million for a one-minute ad. And people were like, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> For that ad, uh, there was a lot of online chatter that I saw about kind of an us versus them imagery that was portrayed in in the ad, where the feet of several different races and non-Christian religion were being washed by their perceived you know rival, if you will. Um, so that wasn't you know that was hard for some people. It was a polarizing image. Some people were specifically upset about the foot washing depicted outside of an abortion clinic. I listened to a podcast this week of some Christians who were convinced that the general idea of foot washing, just in general, like foot washing, is completely lost on non-believers in today's world. And so the ad was both useless and expensive. So they were just like, that was just a waste, a waste, a waste. This is a personal opinion right here. I kind of think the ad was for Christians, though. <laughs> I kind of think that a, a bit of this ad was not just for people who'd never heard the name of Jesus, but it was also for Christians. I think a lot of believers, and I could be wrong, of course, I, I present that to you for sure. I think a lot of believers were faced with this question. Would you wash the feet of a person you did not approve of? Would you 
wash the feet of a person you did not approve of? Would you wash the feet of a person you did not agree with? Would you wash the feet of a person who made choices that you would never make? Would you wash their feet? I was talking to someone this week about it, and they, after they looked, they went to the website of the group that's doing this, and they asked me, they said, don't you wish that they were a little more definitive about Jesus? And I was like, of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. Um, but I'm not, I'm not depending on a one-minute ad to be the only way that people know about Jesus. That one-minute ad is no different than a giant banner that just says Jesus. That ad is no different than a banner that said Jesus doesn't hate you, right? It, it's, it doesn't. It's a, it has no, like, it, that, it's what it says. I mean, aren't, let me just say this. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't hate you? I'm so glad Jesus doesn't hate me. I mean, that's good news that Jesus does not hate us. In fact, he loves us. Not, it's not that he just doesn't hate us, which you could, we could be glad just about that, but he actually loves us. The problem is, is that when we have difficulty agreeing that Jesus also loves people that we don't necessarily agree with or approve of. Many of you who saw the ad, you heard the ad, you, you, you probably have very strong thoughts and opinions on this one way or another. Let me say this, a few things that we know historically and from reading the scriptures, okay? That's the important part. Number one, culturally, in the time of Jesus, foot washing was the job of the lowest ranking servants, yeah, we don't want a number one there. The lowest ranking service. It was for the lowest person on the organizational chart. It was gross and it was humiliating. It, that's who that role was for. Which is why Jesus' disciple Peter was like adamant, you will not wash my feet, Lord. There's a little actually a bit, bit of pride in there on Peter's part. Well, that's for another time. The second thing we know about foot washing is this. It did not then, nor does it now, I want to say this, foot washing did not then in the scriptures, nor does it now convey approval of or forgiveness for or a general, general rightness to the one whose feet are being washed. It never has conveyed that. Ever, ever, never. The foot washing that Jesus performed for his disciples the only scriptural evidence we have, right? That's all we have. If, when Jesus washed feet, that's a true statement. It was of his disciples, his followers. This foot washing was both practical. They had nasty feet. They'd been wandering around. They were about to have a religious experience, so they wanted to be clean, right? But it was also symbolic because it showed the heart and the intention of the one washing the feet, Jesus. Now, here's the third thing we see about foot washing from historically and scripturally is that Jesus washed his disciples' feet not to approve of them. That's not what that moment was about. It was to prove to them that they too, as his followers, will be humbled in his name. He was actually preparing them for the ultimate humiliation that he was going to face on the cross. He was going to endure 
He was also showing them what it meant when he said that they were to lay down their lives, take up their cross, and follow him. So, the crux of it all. This, this is what I think it is. You talk about that advertiser, we're talking about the invitation and casting. The crux of it all, I think, is this. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with an ad about Jesus? What do we do with a banner about Jesus? What do we do with a conversation about Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? What do the people who have never heard of him or who have, but they don't really know about him, but they're asking questions about him, what do they do with Jesus? What do we do with that information about him? Last week we said, if you've got information about Jesus, it should be followed with an invitation to know Jesus. That we should just throw facts at people all the time, right? It should come with, a, with an invitation. But what do we do with Jesus? What happens after a $17.5 million advertisement is seen, right? What, what happens after the name Jesus is read on the banner? Or what happens after the house is built in a Central American country? What happens after you finish your lunch with the friend that you really felt like you needed to invite them to go and sit down and for you to share what God has done in your life with them. What do we do with Jesus? Today, I hope, by looking at a few verses in the 12th chapter of Romans, we will be able to grasp a little bit more what do we do with Jesus. And I want to start with this thought, and it's this. The purpose of the invitation is to lead to godly transformation. The whole purpose of talking about Jesus, the whole purpose of pointing to Jesus, whether you're paying $17.5 million for it or not, and it's free and you're just saying the name, doesn't matter, put any kind of price you want to on it, but the purpose of the invitation to share Jesus Christ is to lead to godly transformation. That's the whole purpose of it all. It's for him to transform our lives. For him to transform the lives of the people that we know are lost without him. That is the point of it all. This is why the invitation is made. This is why Jesus called those who love him to invite others to know him. This is about transformation. In Romans chapter 12, I want to show you a couple of characteristics that I see, that we see here in the, in the text Uh, of this godly transformation that we should all experience. And verses 1 and 2, I want to read to you the the first two verses. We're not going to go stray far from that at all today. This is Paul's writing, and he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, what's therefore? The first 11 chapters of Romans, he sets up, this is who God is, this is what God desires of you, there are promises he's made to you, There uh, there is grace going to be bestowed upon you. I mean, the first 11 chapters are all summed up, and he's like, therefore, in view, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So he kind of says God's mercy. It's like all that he had just discussed in those first 11 chapters. In view of God's mercies, um, he urges you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, that's different than just a sacrifice. As as we know it, definitely different than you know it from, from that time frame, from Scripture. Sacrifice meant death. Sacrifice meant blood, ick. Sacrifice meant the end of something. It was, but he's saying, offer your bodies as a living 
sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's why I use the phrase that the invitation should lead to godly transformation, not just change. Like, sure, most of us are like, I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to be healthier. I want to be smarter. I want to be more intentional. I want to be a better parent. Like, we have these intentions, right? But the invitation for Jesus should lead us to godly transformation. So, when you look in the text, when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship, Paul tells us. Verse 2, do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, what are some characteristics of this godly transformation we see right here in these two verses? The first thing that I see, which is good news. So if we're talking about being people who offer an invitation, here's good news to share with someone about Jesus and being able to be transformed. The first one is this. It is actually possible. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, how many, how many of you who are now followers of Jesus, if you would have, if someone had come up and asked you and been like, hey, uh, will you ever be like a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ? You'd have been like, impossible. Right, But you're sitting here because it's possible. You, you, some of you in here, are, you're a living witness of it's possible that God can transform lives, right? It's possible. And we need to be people who offer an invitation, who look at someone and go, you know what? It's possible for God to transform your lives. Why do I say it's possible to be new, to change, that change is possible? The very fact that Paul appeals and urges to the first century church shows that this change is possible. He says, he says, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. He urges them. It's not like, hey, I hope it happens. He's like, no, 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 this is possible. Offer yourself to God. He will do this. He will transform you. Offer yourself to him. It's possible. He, he appeals to them you know, you don't. You know what? I mentioned the Super Bowl ad. I think one of the reasons some people were not really cool about it is because the ad. Well, they probably didn't have enough money because it never showed a transformation. It just showed the foot washing. You didn't see someone go, "Praise Jesus! I'm no longer whatever it was they were." You didn't see a healing or a miraculous change. You just saw the foot washing. You didn't see a transformation. And I think many believing viewers wanted instant change to be evident. Completed transformation. In our text, Paul gives us an imperative. It's a command, actually, to be transformed. This is how I know it's possible. It's a command. The term be transformed that he uses in Greek, it's this word, metamorpho. Obviously, it's where we get metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis, it means to change from one form into another, from who you used to be to who you are now. It's, here's the actual definition. I don't have it on the screen. I apologize. But it means to change from an immature form to a mature or adult form form in distinct changes. The process of metamorphosis to change from an immature form 
to a mature or adult form in distinct stages. That's a metamorphosis. So a tadpole, right, has a metamorphosis into a frog. It goes through these distinct changes to go from immature to its mature form. A caterpillar undergoes metamorphosis to change into a butterfly. That process is called chrysalis, right? These are not slight, barely noticeable changes. By the end, you have one form and then you have another. You see the transformation, metamorpho. And metamorpho used here in this text, it describes a profound, radical change of the inner being. Be transformed. Don't be as you were. Be transformed. So this godly transformation that Paul encourages us to know, to follow, is right here in the text. It's the same word that Paul also uses over in 2 Corinthians when he says that we are being transformed. See the process? That's the stage. It's a, it's a process. We are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory. Oh, that's a metamorpho. This is what he's talking about. It's an inward, profound change that occurs. And all of that, I say, to give you this principle, the, the invitation, balo, we've been talking about, it's crucial because people need to hear that godly change is possible. There are people you know who need to hear that their lives can be transformed through Jesus Christ. They don't believe it right now. They don't. Now, it's more about them than it is, I think, about their doubts on, on what Jesus can do. I think it's about, I don't know if, this, if, if I can be transformed. By casting the good news of Jesus in our everyday lives, right? Living out this invitation, what, what could happen is that people can get the message. You know what? You don't have to continue in this this frustration that you're a part of, that, that you and I talk about because we're friends. You don't have to keep on this, this treadmill of, of, of uh, poor decisions and, and you know, history of just making a mess of things. You don't have to stay the same. You, don't, you, can, you can change. You can be transformed. It's possible. I mean, we need to be able to look at people and say, you know what, even if you failed, you can be transformed. If you've fallen, you can be transformed. If you've faltered, change is possible through Jesus Christ. And, and let's be real, not only to others do we need to speak that, we need to understand that and believe it for ourselves too because you may have committed your life to Christ and blown it. Blown it. But you can be transformed. You don't, you don't have to stay that way. Commit your life to Christ. You might be at a place where you think, I'm ready, I'm kind of done with this. We all, all of us need to know there's a God in heaven and next to him sits the resurrected Jesus Christ. He is no longer a body that has been broken. He is no longer a crucified human being in the flesh. He is a resurrected king. And our hope in him gives us promise of transformation. It's possible. So what we see in this text, we hear it from from Paul in the imperative is you can be transformed. 
You can. It is possible. Second characteristic of what this godly transformation looks like. This is the crux of it all, that we should be transformed. The second characteristic is that it is personal. It's real. It's got to be inside. It can't be surface. It can't be obviously someone else's faith. You know, we don't want it like that. It's, it's personal. This needs to be something that you are actively involved in. This needs to be something as we invite others and tell them about Jesus Christ, we're saying, no, this is something, it's not just here, say this prayer or recite this or, or go through these motions and you're good. But no, no, this is like an invitation to active participation in a relationship with God. And honestly, I think that's where as the church, we kind of, we kind of uh, drop the ball because we want to say, oh yeah, I'll talk to someone about Jesus, but are we inviting people to uh, uh, practice actively being involved with God? Are we inviting people that, um, you know, some of you are going, you know, I can ask someone to lunch and tell them my story, but what about asking someone to lunch, you know, every week for the next, you know, six months and going through God's word together? Like actively being a part of going, let's allow God's word to transform us together. Right? It's got to be personal. Look at verse 1 again here in, in Romans 12. Paul writes, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper worship. It's not mine. It's not your grandma's. This is your true and proper worship. You offer yourself to God. So this transformation that is possible, it is a very deeply personal experience. It's a result of a response to God. Paul's urging us. Some versions say, I am beseeching you. I like that. We don't use that word enough. I am beseeching you. You can say it to our kids. To clean up your room. I beseech you to pick up the clothes off the floor. I beseech you to unload the dishwasher. I want you all to use that this week. But I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. This is what Paul is saying. I'm urging you, present your life to God because he's the one that can transform that life. Now, how does this happen? How, how does this, what does this look like, presenting ourselves to God? How does godly transformation happen? Look at the, the first part of verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Now, if you just look at that, just pause right there. Do not conform and be transformed. We are in a constant state of, of changing. Okay? Our, as human beings, as created beings, everything that has been created that's a living thing is in a constant state of change. So something's going on all the time. Something's happening all the time. How many people are shorter than you used to be? Like, you're like, I'm shorter. You know, gravity has done that to you. Okay? Arches have fallen. It's the way your body, you know. This is what we are living, created beings. We are changing all the time. And this is true in the spiritual realm, not of just a physical reality. Are we being conformed right now? Or are we being transformed? 
It's always happening. What are we doing? Paul says, do not conform, be transformed. Something's going to happen. Which one's happening? Don't allow the world to conform you to itself, but allow God remake you, transform you, be transformed, metamorpho. And the idea here simply is this, present yourself to God. Present yourself to God. Present your body to God. Present your mind to God and say, God, I cannot fix myself. Someone needs to hear that and repeat that later. God, I can't fix myself. I need you to transform me. I will allow you to do that. I'm presenting myself for you to do this, but I need transformation in my life. I need your transformation. Paul calls this kind of presentation in verse 1, true and proper worship. True and proper. Greek word for true and proper is Proper is uh, logikos, logical, rational, proper, correct, reasonable. This is what we should do. This is the right thing to do. The most logical thing that you can do is to give your life over to God who can transform you. It's the most rational, reasonable, true thing that you can do. And I think... Again, I think a lot of Christians were upset about the he gets us ad because it didn't convey that information in one minute. I'll say it again. I I don't depend on, and neither should you, a one-minute advertisement to be the foundation for your spiritual formation or anyone else's for that matter. So as Jesus followers, as followers of Jesus, right, we, we, we should... Bala, we should cast the invitation for people to meet, to know Jesus, so that transformation can occur. We don't transform them. We introduce them to the one who can. In the process, we're like, hey, I'm, in, I'm being transformed too. <laughs> you, want, you want to be on this journey with me as I'm growing closer, as I am following after him as well. We cast the invitation for people to, meet, to know Jesus, to meet Jesus, so they can be transformed. And you know what? That could be through foot washing. That could be the invitation. Transformation needs to come after that. It could be in house building. It certainly can. But again, getting your feet washed, it doesn't bestow salvation upon you magically. Having a basic cinder block, tin roof house you built doesn't give you salvation automatically. It's an invitation that brings about an opportunity for people to respond to God, for metamorpho to take place, transformation. And that's why Paul says, God can transform you, but you need to be the one to present yourself to him. How do you present your body, your very person? Here's my life. God, I want you to do the work in me. I'm presenting my very being, my heart, my mind, my soul, my body to you. So we see that transformation is possible. We also hopefully understand that it's very personal. We've got to do this. We've got to respond to this. We've got to, when we talk to people about this and make an invitation, they need to know that this is a personal act that they need to be a part of. You cannot save them. You cannot transform them. 
But here's the third characteristic of this godly transformation. And it is this. And this is a part, again, that I think is missed for a lot of us. It is a process. Metamorpho is a process. Us being transformed is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Look at verse 2 again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a process. That's an ongoing activity to be renewed. That's a process. Caterpillars and tadpoles, there's a metamorphosis that needs to happen. Transformation from one form to another in distinct stages of life. You don't get instant frog, right? We don't. Unless... I think about the sponges you give in the bathtub and they turn into something like an instant dinosaur, like right there. And you don't get instant butterfly. We don't get these things. And there's no instant mature Christian. I think that's why some people had a, might have had a hard time with a one-minute advertisement. It's because it didn't result with an instant mature Christian. Transformation. It's, I would say when we're talking about Jesus or living beings, it is both an event and a process. Transformation is an event and a process. The birth of a child is an event. The growing up is a process. Right? The, the tadpole swimming in the pond is it, you're becoming the tadpole is the event, but the, the becoming... A frog, ribbit, ribbit, is the process. Spiritual birth is an event for many of us. Many of us kind of, we know a, a time, we know a place, we have a, an, a really good idea of the day. We said yes to Jesus. We meant it, we understood it, and we said yes. But I don't think there's a one of us in here that would go, and that's the day I had it all figured out. <laughs> right? There's the event, and then there's the process. You come to Christ, you're saved. In a moment of time, you believe in him. God places you in Christ. You didn't do anything except say, please, Lord. You don't know much, but that's the event. But then the transformation process begins. The first is salvation. The second is this life of sanctification is our word that we use for that. We're living into this metamorphosis. We're living in. We're being sanctified, being changed into his likeness inwardly. And then hopefully that shows up outwardly. It's that slow, steady, sanctifying, Bible reading, better decision making, praying, recalculating plan-changing, environment-cleaning, transformation, metamorpho, process. The prequel to salvation is the invitation. The prequel to salvation is the invitation. The invitation is so important for people to know Jesus Christ is Lord. He has given his life for you. Your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave himself. And the power that comes from that is the fact that three days later, he he came back alive. A resurrected king. For us to know this, for us to share this, 
So what do we do? We bala. We cast the invitation. This, this should be what we do. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful that I, have, I get more than one minute to try to share an invitation with people in my life. And I'm so thankful that it doesn't cost me $17.5 million to do it. It's free. It costs us nothing. A little bit of time. Maybe a little bit of comfort, but we, we can get over that, right? As we, as we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, shouldn't we get over ourselves a little bit and go, oh, I feel kind of weird having this conversation, but this is what I should do. I feel compelled to share this. I feel compelled the same way Paul was compelling us. That I want to sit across from someone and I want to urge them to know who Jesus Christ is and for them to understand they do not have to stay the same. They can be transformed. So we cast an invitation. And then we trust God to do the work from there. And in the process, we're transforming too. We are, we are growing as well. We continue to point people to Jesus. Would you pray with me as we pray based on our scripture this morning and then let's spend a little time together in worship and prayer if you need to spend time at the kneelers do so take the opportunity but father in view of your endless mercy and grace when we come before you your love compels us to not to offer not just words but our very lives as living sacrifices to you. Would you help us, Lord, to live in a manner that is holy and pleasing in your sight, Lord, that we would recognize this act of surrender as our true and proper worship. God, we acknowledge that we live in a time that the, the challenge of living in this world and not being shaped by its patterns and its pressures, it's difficult. So we ask for your, your strength. We ask for your guidance. We ask uh, for your, your power within us to resist conforming to false standards that do not honor you. Instead, Lord, would you transform us? Would you renew our minds so that in every thought, every decision, every action, we may seek your will above all, above all. Would you give us the wisdom to discern your good pleasing and perfect will in our lives. Empower us to live out the truths in your word, reflecting your love in all we do. There's the invitation, God, reflecting your love. Would our lives testify to the transformation that you are working within us and invite those around us to seek after you. Lord, we wanna be obedient. We want to walk in obedience and faith and trust you. 
that you will transform us according to your perfect, perfect will. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's continue in worship.